and welcome to this month's edition of Book Blether, Fact, Fiction and Fabulousness. This month we will be reading Resist by Tom Palmer as part of our celebrations for Languages Week and we'll also be hearing from Mr Webb who will be here talking about his favourite books and the books that inspired him. Uh, so go and get a cup of tea and a bit of cake unless you're giving up for Lent, who knows, whatever you choose and enjoy. This month, I'm delighted to have Mr. Webb with us. Mr. Webb is someone who I speak to all the time about TV and books, so I can't wait to interview you for this uh, this podcast. So, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Yes. It's great to be here. We got stuck in because we've got five questions mm-hmm. to ask you. So, we wondered, could you kick us off by telling us about the book that you're reading now? Yeah, um, so I've actually <laughs> brought it with me. So, the book is called What Just Happened by Marina Hyde. Are you oh, familiar? Oh, the Guardian, the Guardian yeah, columnist. So yeah, so she's a columnist for the, for the Guardian. She writes mainly comments and opinion pieces for them and she is hilarious she's so acerbic in the way that she talks about politics and things that are happening in the world and she's actually really big into football as well so she does uh, some columns for their sports uh, section of the newspaper but again she kind of gets into you know the nitty-gritty of you know corruption in football and you know big issues and things but just a really really funny writer yeah I align myself with her, her views most of the time and I think the reason why I've got her book, so normally I read her uh, her, her column that's in the uh, the newspaper, is because I, I love non-fiction writing. And I think that sometimes we think of non-fiction writing as being quite dull. Mm-hmm. Um, we think of fiction as stories and excitement and non-fiction is about facts. And uh, actually non-fiction writing can be just as exciting mm-hmm. um, as, as fiction. And I think Marina, the way that she writes, the techniques that she uses in her writing you know, it makes me laugh out loud and, you know, it's it, it really, you know, evokes emotions as well. So mm-hmm. so I actually found a little bit that I wanted to read, if that's okay. Of course. Yes, yeah. I don't know if we are apolitical, <laughs> impartial like the BBC. Um, yes, we're the BBC of podcasts. It's yes. about Trump. So I think most people are going to be happy <laughs> okay. to hear what we have to say. But um, so basically this book is her looking over... Um, really the past eight years, mm-hmm. covering lots of different things that have happened in the world, COVID, Brexit, mm-hmm. and she has a, a full chapter on President Trump where she pulls different parts, uh, different bits apart. So this bit was called What to Do When Your President Has a Temper Tantrum. This was written just after President Trump lost the, the election for a second term. For parents of small children, Donald Trump's post-election meltdown is extremely, totally, instantly recognisable. There are several reasons presidents cry. Anyone who has ever had one and been up half the night with it, all of the night with it, night after night, can tell you this. Sometimes presidents cry because they're tired. Sometimes they cry because they need their nappy changed. Sometimes they cry because they don't want you to leave them. Sometimes they cry because they have a gnawing pain in their tummy. And sometimes they cry because they're just being impossible that day and you should probably go to bed and leave them to it. But somehow you just can't. It's just a small excerpt, but I think it just sums mm-hmm. up the way that Marina like, likes to write about things. She doesn't hold any punches. She gets more extreme in places as mm-hmm. well. She uses some more uh, some fruity language <laughs> in different places, so which you know is great. You know, it's part of language and she uses it well. But yeah, I'm just really enjoying reading her whole book of her kind of look on the past uh, 
Eight years? I didn't know that she'd written a book because I, I knew her, yeah. or I know her rather, as a <clears throat> newspaper columnist, but I didn't... Are they all based on her columns or is there any new writing in them? Yeah, so I do. I haven't recognised any that are her actual columns. So she. this is actually called Dispatches from Turbulent Times. So I don't know if these are pieces of writing that she's been keeping over the years mm-hmm. or if it's she's looking back, but... They are like column pieces, they're mm-hmm. small, you know, page and a half, two page, little bits of writing. So. I really like her humour as well because, well, particularly with like, like that example with um, with Trump, I like that she's pointing out the ridiculousness of him because he is he, he's quite a dangerous figure, I feel. Oh, sorry, I'm supposed to be BBC. Uh, but, in part, but, but, in part, <laughs> but there's a danger with some some of the things that he represents and obviously we saw with the you know what happened in the capital riots and things like that and i feel like a lot of the news we read about it puts the fear into us we bit but like it actually just pokes fun at him that's it ridiculing just, bringing uh, him down to like that yeah, i think yeah, yeah which i love and she does that with everybody and everything so yeah. that's great oh thanks for that what about the book that changed your life okay it's a big one um so having listened to uh, the podcast since it came out, I remember thinking, oh, if I ever go on, these are the books I'd like to talk about. And slowly over time, a lot of the books that I was thinking of, um, other teachers have, have talked about or other guests. And so at the time, I was like, oh, that's annoying because I want to talk about that if I'm ever invited. But actually just made me realize that they must be really powerful books mm-hmm. that so many people feel the same way about them. So I would say the book that changed my life would be His Dark Materials by mm-hmm. Philip Pullman. For different reasons. I remember I was in a bit of a slump early teenage years and couldn't really find books that I was enjoying and came across Northern Lights, the first book in his Dark Materials, and that was it. I was back into reading again. I was absolutely absorbed by them. So I think that's really important because it, it got me straight back into reading and my love for literature and, and you know, that just continued then until now. Um, but the other reason why I think it changed my life is because the stories are so epic. Like Philip Pullman has done this amazing thing where he has combined fantasy and science and science fiction and realism and emotional connections between characters. And it's just this melting pot of all of these different things. And you can read them on one level as just a gripping adventure tale. And at the same time, you know, he is discussing big philosophy and politics and the nature of, you know, authority. And I think as a young person reading those books, I think for any young person reading the books, I think they encourage people to think and debate and question and challenge. I won't give anything away, but, you know, the main story arc that comes to an end in the final book is outrageous, um, but outrageous in all the best ways because it encourages us to... Yeah, to, to question, you know, the world around us and the systems that are in place and, you know, authority and, you know, pe- do people have our best interests in place? And I know that the, the books were seen as being quite subversive and they're accused of, you know, be having corrupting influences on young people. Uh, but I think the opposite. I think actually they encourage people, young people in particular, to question. I think that's the best thing. It's Those so, critical. So yeah. Yeah. Mm. So that's what you're trying to encourage as mm-hmm. part of education is people who think and yeah. mm-hmm. wonder and ask questions. So the best stories do that, don't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. And I think the other thing that came out of them is just there are so many references to other stories or similarities with other stories and references to mythology and things. And there's just so much in there that you can mm-hmm. pick apart. And I think for people that know stuff, it's great. And if you don't, then you kind of go away and you find out more about these older stories that have been used to inspire it. 
Can I just actually go back to what you said about reading slump as well? And I think this is something that people should talk about mm-hmm. more, is that there's this idea that you're either a reader or you aren't. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you do go through slumps. I had literally mm-hmm. years where I couldn't read a book for, yeah. for fun or for pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I remember at the time thinking, well, that's it for me. I'm not, this, that, that phase of my life is mm-hmm. obviously over. And I think, you know, if, if there's like that model, if you know that people might go through phases mm-hmm. of, of you know, having books to read for fun or, or don't. Um, so it's, it's brilliant to hear you say mm-hmm. that and nice to know it was his dark materials mm-hmm. that brought you back. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's about finding the right book as well. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I keep saying to a lot of pupils who I find can be are reluctant readers and they're just like, I just, I just don't like reading. I'm like, no, you've just not found the right book yet. And mm-hmm. you, it's about searching and persevering and trying to find that book that's going to unlock that for you and make you feel that way, you know? Yeah. Can I also a side note? What did you, have you watched the adaptation? Or yes, the yeah, what did you think? I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I think the first season was a, was a bit of a slow start and I think they were finding their feet in mm-hmm. terms of the actors and the roles, but by the third season, I thought it was brilliant. And I think as well, it was a, an honest you know, representation of the books mm-hmm. as far as it could be. There's so much material to deal with, but I feel like they did a really good job. Um, I cried at the end. You know, there's a, oh, yeah. That actually leads us very nicely oh. into our next question, oh. which oh. Uh, <laughs> is the, the last book that either made you laugh or cry. A seamless segue there, not planned <laughs> at all. <laughs> I have chosen a book. I'll be honest, it's not the last one that made me cry, but it's one that made me cry the most. So I've kind of twisted that. So I don't know if you know The, the Go-Between by L.P. Hartley. No, I actually studied this at A-level, but I've read it a few times since. And the story, it's set turn of the century, Edwardian times, and it's about a young boy who comes, you know, from like a modest family, but he goes home with a friend who comes from a very rich family and they own or rent a a stately home in the country in Norfolk. And the the story is about him falling in love with his friend's older sister. But he's still quite young, so he doesn't really understand what that means. It's more of an infatuation. Uh, But she is having uh, an illicit affair with uh, a man from the village, and he ends up becoming their go-between, taking love letters between them. And the reason why it makes me cry, there's lots of things going on, but I think, firstly, this story of of growing up and losing innocence, which are big themes in, in books and literature. But I think from that male perspective, sometimes isn't covered in in such a frank way, really focused on, his name's Leo, the main character, his emotions and his emotional journey, his fears, and and the writer talks about him crying and breaking down. And, and again, I don't want to give anything away in the story, but, you know, traumatic things happen and it focuses on the, the legacy of that trauma. So the beginning of the book and the end of the book is actually set about 60 years into the future when he's an older man and he's going back to the village to to visit Marion, uh, the sister that he loved. But again, there's just so much going on in the in the book about relationships and class and people feeling that they can't be with the person that they love or or spend their time with them because of societal expectations. And this boy Leo is just kind of trapped in the middle of that, trying to make sense of the world around him. And just some really beautiful writing. You may know the quote: "The past is a foreign country. They mm-hmm. do things differently there." That's yeah. from that book. Oh, so that's okay. the opening oh, of uh, the Go Between by L.P. Hartley. Yeah. Oh, wow. Is that so, well, I didn't need another reason to find that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it opens up with that, and you know, it's yeah, him thinking about yeah how the past is somewhere almost alien and foreign, and trying to make sense of that. Just really, yeah, really beautiful mm-hmm. written, and the BBC did a good adaptation as well for TV, but. Yeah, there's just, I just, it was nice to read a book that kind of dealt with those emotions 
especially for you know for men you know in a way that was yeah, difficult to read and sad to read but honest so. I also like the fact that we, we've kind of talked about this a lot on the podcast but books that you studied at school that stay with you like mm-hmm. so many guests have come on and talked about that so it's great that we've got another one to add to the list yeah. I'm also going to add it to my, my list too but right. it's amazing that it can have such a profound impact even you know years after after studying it it's something that you always come back to it's amazing yeah. and a lot of that was done to my English teacher um we all called him Mark because we used our first name because it was at Sixth Form College. Oh, okay, right. um, but yeah, but Mark, like, he was just brilliant and he just helped us to really understand the book and mm-hmm. classes were like seminars at university. Mm-hmm. It was that kind of style. It was just, yeah, he helped to bring it alive. So that's mm-hmm. why it's really stuck as something mm-hmm. as well. The next one, another important thing, uh, a book that you give as a gift, what would you say? I love giving poetry as gifts, but then I was thinking I found it really difficult. There's not necessarily a particular poet that I choose. It tends to be anthologies. Mm-hmm. So then I thought about, okay, well, which book have I given multiple times to people? And it's a book that Dr. Dunbar mentioned, actually. It's Fingersmith mm-hmm. by Sarah Waters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think she talks about it briefly. The book is this kind of, it's a modern book, but it's set in Victorian times. And again, the writing just brings Victorian, like London to life. Just lots of fantastic description. and But again, it's all about, you know, characters discovering their identity and, you know, finding themselves and in particular the central character being manipulated by people around her. The reason why I give it as a gift is because it has the most epic plot twist ever, <laughs> which... That's a big... Yeah. Big and I'll say other than that, you don't see it coming, but then once that happens, then you're like, it completely, completely makes sense. But to the point that I literally was shocked. I, couldn't, I sat there in disbelief, mouth open, thinking, how did I not see this coming? <laughs> It's absolutely brilliant. Wow. And yeah, the story's written from two different people's perspectives, which is great. You know, I love books that, you know, play around with narration and, you know, kind of change perspective. And yeah, there's just, you know, lots of great themes about love and relationships and again, society and the way that people are treated, particularly women are treated. It just gets you thinking, you know, so. Massive plot twist. That's what gets me kind of interested in books right. and like that. I kind of want to see, will I, be, will I be able to figure it out? That's what I want to see. So we're finishing up with a question that some people find a stumper, which is, could you tell us who your favourite writer is? Yeah. So, again, was a difficult one because I love reading different writers, you know, and there are obviously certain writers that you get into, but I think I want to think about the writer that's had maybe the most impact on me for the most time. Sixth Form College started studying classics, and then I went on to do classics at university. So my favourite writer is actually a Greek playwright, a Greek tragedian, Euripides. I don't know, uh, Ms. McCarthy, we're talking about mythology all the time. What the, the books, which books are... Natalie Haynes' ones, Natalie the Pandora's Jar. And Pat Barker's written mm-hmm. some yes. as well. And, uh, so I always love mythology, but Greek tragedy plays, for me, I think are just incredible. Any story that has... Um, <laughs> it sounds a bit macabre, but, you know, wives murdering husbands as revenge or people being tricked and poisoned and stabbed and it's like the extreme, attacked most in the world. extreme form the of most life. extreme yes. yeah human nature that you have i love so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're great stories are great based on myths and you know they just they have all these exciting moments that you know shock and and astound you but euripides i love in particular because he really focuses on the human experience quite divisive he is lauded as like the greatest feminist of mm-hmm. the ancient world but also as the greatest misogynist so oh, is that possible? i know so <laughs> yeah complex man. i think 
I think the thing I always have to remember is a man, and he writes a lot about a lot of the plays that still exist are from the female perspective or about female characters, so you always have to remember that well, it's a man interpreting that. But in particular, in some plays like Trojan Women, it deals with the end of the Trojan War and basically the women of Troy being divided up and you know taken as slaves by the Greeks, and the play really focuses on the trauma of that. And it's a play that is put on a lot at theatres, especially during wars. So I remember during the Iraq War, um, it would come up because it just shows the the impact of war, not just on soldiers, but then also on civilians and in particular women and children. And then he, you know, another play, Medea, a really divisive character, you know, does some horrendous things, but he creates a character that you really feel sympathy for, someone with complexity. And his writing, I think, is is complex in so many ways that it just feels real it feels even though you're seeing you know the most awful of acts or you know you're seeing witches or gods and goddesses doing things they feel like real people mm-hmm. and thinking about Medea it ends in the best way ever that you have a character flying away on a, a chariot driven by dragons and I just think what, what a way to end what a play an what an exit you know from a play except pursued by a beer yeah well yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I just think that, you know, bring myths to life, but I think in particular Euripides has this real talent of mm-hmm. making these extraordinary people feel very ordinary and very relatable. You know, it's really interesting writing thousands of years ago in a different language, and yet, you know, you're reading this now and those characters are coming to life because one mm-hmm. of the things we're focusing on in the podcast this week is the fact that it was Languages Week a couple of weeks ago yep. and we're looking at different languages and books. Yeah, no, that's amazing. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on the well, podcast. Well, thank you so, so much. Yeah. We're seeing the return of one of my favourite writers, Tom yes. Palmer, a literary hero of mine, who has now turned to the Second World mm-hmm. War, which he's written about before. So we're going to start with summing it up in a sentence, but we were talking yeah. about how difficult we both found this. Yeah, I find this quite stressful. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know how to sum it up. I feel like there's a lot a lot going on in it, and I feel like if I tried to do it in a sentence, I don't know how I would do it, because I feel there's so many different aspects of the book, and I'd be scared that I'd miss something out. But as always, you're much more articulate than me. So oh, that was a bit where I have to admit that I hijacked the subtitle, <laughs> and uh, I have, I've kind of adapted it. So the subtitle mm-hmm. in the book, it's called Resist, just one mm-hmm. word, but then the subtitle is One Girl's Fight Back Against the mm-hmm. Nazis. So for my sum up in a sentence, I said it was a look behind the curtain mm-hmm. at one girl's efforts to resist the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And I used that deliberately because the book's based on the life of Audrey Hepburn, yes. who most of us might know better mm-hmm. as an actress, famous Hollywood actress. So it was kind of a look behind something like mm-hmm. her experiences when she was uh, a girl growing up in mm-hmm. Holland. Yeah. Um, did you have anything for the title, for the thought-provoking title? Just the fact that a one-word title mm-hmm. is, bo- is a bold choice because yep. it's carrying the whole story on a single word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just thought it was great because it almost felt like a, a call to arms. Mm-hmm. You know, the words have power yeah. and I felt that having that single word was really... It was a, it was a great mm-hmm. title because it's always a gamble when you do just choose yeah. the one word. I, I, I thought something similar too. I, I thought about power, but I also thought about struggle as well. Like, when you're thinking about resistance, there's an element of struggle with that too and I think that is something that's explored in the book in a lot of depth and detail. It's not easy. You might. It's mm-hmm. quite often to talk about resistance against mm-hmm. you know, an invading force yep. as being sort of almost romanticising mm-hmm. the struggle without reflecting just the hard mm-hmm. graft and the grind. Yep. He really does it in mm-hmm. that book. Talks about the kind of conditions of the day to day. Not because because it was occupied by the Nazis mm-hmm. and Dutch people had to see the Gestapo on the street every day yep. and and you know didn't have enough to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, just the way that it was written about. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's interesting mm-hmm. that yeah, yeah that that's been in the title as well. 
Um, a standout character? Uh, well, yeah, I, I felt there was no other no competition for me. I had to go for Edda. So Edda is the central character of the text. Interestingly, Edda isn't her real name. Her real name is Audrey, but because the character, she lived in England and then moved back to the Netherlands when the war broke out because she thought they thought she'd be safer there. But she had to change her name because Audrey sounded more English than Edda, so she had to change her name to Edda. But for me, I... Yeah, I think the reasons why she stood out for me is just because she's so brave. Um, she's so brave. She's so resilient as well. The, the book explores so many of the hardships that her, both Edda and her family have faced. And they're all very different hardships, but she's resilient throughout it. I also think the fact that she's really observant and thoughtful. So, for example, she there's a, a moment where she, I think she's surrounded by Nazi soldiers and she looks at them and she's like, you're not that much older than me and you're just scared little boys who don't really know what they're doing. And it's only when another, an older soldier comes over and tells them what to do that they then realise what they, they do. But she realises actually they're... You know they're they're quite young and really immature, and she sees a kind of different side, which I thought was really interesting. Who was your character? Who would you go for? I suppose Edda, aside because you're right, there isn't yeah. any competition. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was was probably the doctor that had recruited mm-hmm. her into the resistance, so Doctor Visser to Hoof, mm-hmm. who it's just snapshots of what he does. Mm-hmm. So you really get more Edda's sense of what she does in the resistance, mm-hmm. but he's the one that draws her in, and he. He's the one who um, encourages her to use her talents to mm-hmm. help in other ways. Yeah. So as well as trying to smuggle like newsletters mm-hmm. and news out to people so that they can find out what's happening mm-hmm. in different parts of the world to resist the Nazis, there's also kind of keeping up morale mm-hmm. and looking after people who've been really badly affected mm-hmm. or have had to go into hiding. Yeah. So I just thought it was interesting because we only get snapshots of what he does and the risk that he was oh, yeah, yeah. he was taking because everyone took a risk if mm-hmm. they were part of the resistance. I just thought because he was the one orchestrating it all almost yeah, and organizing it yeah i think that's i think that's part of the 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 interesting thing about the characters you know i mentioned that they were brave before but it's mentioned throughout the book that if they are caught there's no other way about it they would be executed immediately so the fact that that's that you know the danger that they face but they they just don't they they, they don't seem to they just kind of cast it aside and do it for the greater goods to to help people. I just think there's something just incredible about that. I can't really fathom that almost, like to imagine what that would be like and to to be almost, I'm trying to, I was going to say to be so fearless, but I think there's still an element of fear in it, but it's trying to just suppress that fear and trying to move past it so you can do what's right and do what's for the best of the, the country. You're right, it's that's incredible. really well done in the book because mm-hmm. you're right, you get a sense of just how frightening mm-hmm. it is. But um, it's like that quote about how, you know, to be brave, you can only be brave if there's fear mm-hmm. to overcome. Yeah. And yeah, this, this book's definitely mm-hmm. all about that. Yeah. Did you have a most memorable moment? Um, yeah, so again, it was to do with Edda. For me, the moment I thought was most uh, just amazing was um, a nearby town is bombed and all the kind of people who have survived the bombing and the attack have moved into her village, into Edda's village, and they take a lot of the, the refugees in. Edda decides to put on a dance class for the younger children, which I just think is incredible. Like she's she's a very talented dancer, um, and she wants to share share her talents. There's a character or a person that the Nazis think that her family are hiding, uh, and they are hiding, hiding them, and they come into the house and. Edda knows that this character is behind like a fake wall where she's taking her dance class and she just kind of stares the soldiers down and makes them leave and for me I was just like how on earth like she's I think she's only what like 15 16 you know such a young age and to stare down Nazi soldiers 
And even though she's absolutely terrified, but she still manages to fake it and steer them down and they just end up leaving, which I just think is so amazing because she saved she saved the lives of the person they're hiding, but also her family too. And, you know, there could obviously, if they had caught that person, they would have um, probably, there would have been collateral damage and potentially children could have been killed in, in the crossfire of that. So she saved so many lives just through that one powerful glare. That's a horrible look. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> What about for you? What was your, your standout moment? Do you know, it was the, the dance recital. So you, mm-hmm. you mentioned about how she's a talented mm-hmm. dancer and that was one thing that the doctor had asked her to do was to to dance mm-hmm. um, for people as a form of entertainment. And I think, obviously, there's so many points in the book where there's there's you know there's bravery in, mm-hmm. in a more traditional sense, but sometimes the bravery of putting yourself on the line and just letting mm-hmm. everyone forget for a moment yeah. about what what's happening just for one night. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really well written and really well depicted mm-hmm. and she really wanted so much to be a part of it and there was a question over whether her mum was even going to have a liver yeah. she needed her mum's permission but yeah I thought that was a really powerful moment yeah. any wild cards you're wanting to mention um for me the history section at the back of the book I just thought was fascinating that's what I really like about Tom Palmer like very good fiction writer but does his research and depicts it well um, and sensitively as well I think because I think there is an, an an element of risk with depicting something like this to be insensitive but I think he does it really well for me I, again this is ignorance on my part but I didn't realize just how awful the impact of the war had on the the the, um, the people in the Netherlands like this the mass starvation in the winter of 1944 to 1945 was something that I didn't really know and I think Mr Mr Webb touched on this when he was talking about some of the books that he'd read but he said the impact of war on civilians like we often when we think of second world war we think of Nazis we think of quite rightly the concentration camps and obviously that's something that should be remembered too but one part that's that I don't think we realise or we don't think about as much as just the everyday people living in the countries and the fact that their food was taken from them and they were starved to the point where they were dying or on the verge of death I think that was just, it just really shows the horrifying impact of war on that I knew that Audrey Hepburn had been affected mm-hmm. and caught up because she wrote about not having enough to eat, but mm-hmm. it apparently impacted her ability to dance and become oh, a professional mm-hmm. dancer. So that's why she went into acting. But it was oh, okay. because she was malnourished and she so hadn't, sad. yeah, hadn't had the nutrition mm-hmm. she needed because they talk about eating tulip bulbs mm-hmm. at one oh, point. Yeah, yeah. So just even you know, as you say, he does his research, mm-hmm. um, but turns it into this really mm-hmm. memorable story. I suppose my kind of wild card mm-hmm. ties into Languages Week, um, which is, it's a book that's obviously written in English originally, but it's set in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. so Dutch is the language which is spoken, uh, but German features a lot mm-hmm. in it, so the Dutch people learn particular German words mm-hmm. that mean certain things, and it talks about the the road signs changing mm-hmm. as well, oh, and that's yeah. something that, you know, yeah. you don't, I, you know, again, Mr Webb talks about this, about the details that bring mm-hmm. something to life, but, I, you know, I thought about how I would feel if, I saw road signs that were so familiar to mm-hmm. me in my language suddenly yeah. changed into a different language. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, she, she speaks English, so she mm-hmm. talks about having to relearn Dutch yeah. um, and about the people who help her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's worried about her English accent getting picked up on by Nazi soldiers. Mm-hmm. So I just like the way that languages were written mm-hmm. about in the book. So I can see we have two copies now because we, we have one each. Yeah, so two copies in the library. Many, well, there's actually the three, there's a third. <gasps> yes. So it's ever. So we've, I think, a few people from some of my classes have read this and it's been getting some pretty good reviews so get your hands on it it's in the library do you want me to kick off? oh yes okay <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna kick us off this time Woo. and ask Mrs McCarthy 
what you read. <laughs> what am I reading? This month, I've just started a book called The Lamplighters by Emma Stonix. So it's basically, it's a mystery novel. It's actually based on a true story, but it's not, like, you know, exactly what happened. But the story was that on an island near the Isle of Lewis, three lighthouse keepers went missing without a trace, just no sign of them anywhere. So that actually happened, but they, they didn't figure out what happened to what happened to them. So Emma Stonex heard about this story. She's taken it and adapted it. Um, so it's set, I think, in Cor- yeah, Cornwall on a light on a lighthouse and it starts off, I think it's in the nineteen seventies, where the relief crew who go to go and relieve the, the three lightkeepers go um go there. The little boat that's supposed to come out to meet them doesn't come, so they end up having to go onto the island or or, or go near the uh, go onto the lighthouse, and the door's locked from the inside, so they have to knock the door in, and then they go looking for the three men. There's some really strange little details, like the table set for dinner, and two clocks have stopped at the exact same time, and there's no trace of the men. Set both in the the seventies, but also the nineties. So twenty years later, a writer decides that he wants to write about this story, and we hear about. The impact of this on the wives of the men and it's really really interesting so i'm intrigued to see where it goes but it's yeah it's fab even just the idea of the fact that it really happened yeah and also obviously my family's from lewis as well and this is something that i didn't know about so yeah yeah um but yeah true story that the three went missing without a trace and they never found them wonder if uh, this author's going to offer an explanation at the end please i hope so <laughs> honestly it's uh, yeah it's great what about you what are you reading i am mm. reading a book called conversations on love by mm. natasha lunn uh, it's a non-fiction book and mm-hmm. um, i've been trying to do uh, more work kind of you know yourself and miss marks mm-hmm. and um, mr kearney do where you kind of mix up fiction yeah. with non-fiction and this book got recommended and it was it's, it's interesting because it looks at all the different forms of love that mm-hmm. we have in our life and that sometimes romantic love might be prioritised by our culture mm-hmm. but actually if you stop and look at all the different forms of love mm-hmm. that you might have you know, in friendships with yep. parents, with mm-hmm. family um, for God, for your community mm-hmm. um, and it's just so interesting because the person who wrote it has talked to lots of different people mm-hmm. and got lots of different opinions and woven in her own experiences mm-hmm. uh, and it's just, I don't know, it's one of those books that I think it hasn't quite yet but I suspect it's going to make me cry before mm-hmm. the end um, just a really thoroughly good read. What you watching? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, right, I'm going to say two things, two very different things. I, I wonder if they're the same things that you're watching. So the first one, I'm going to start with a light-hearted one, Girls 5 Ever. I have been saying to everybody that they must watch this TV show. It's on Netflix, it's a comedy, it's about a girl band back in the late 90s, early 2000s, so that's like my peak era, like childhood music, and they want to make a comeback 20 years later. It's so funny. It's just, it's ridiculous, but it's also really heartwarming as well. Like, you just, I love the relationships between the women and they're all, they just love each other so much. And a lot of the references are hilarious. Like, they talk about doing Britney Spears scales. Yeah, I just, I love it. It's definitely my era. Do you know, I'm going to chime in on that because that is my answer <laughs> yeah, for, for, yeah, for what I'm, I, it's so good. I'm only about, I think, five or six episodes oh, in. So good. There's just so many kind of callbacks. It's yeah. nostalgic, but then there's also, because it's set now, just mm-hmm. so much that speaks to what's happening now. I love the lyrics for some oh, of their songs. Oh, so funny. Yeah, they're just, they're brilliant. I also really enjoy how they try, they make them look younger. They just like blur the video, <laughs> video <laughs> with things like that. And the, the outfits are amazing. Yeah, it's just great. It's, it's a good watch. On the other end of the spectrum, I'm watching The Last of Us. I think quite a few people are as well. Have you, have you started it I too? Have, I'm, I'm two thirds of the way through the, ep- the first episode. Oh, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's really, really good. I love it. Some of it, episode three, I think maybe the best, 
the best or if not one of the best episodes of TV I've ever seen. So I, I know you said this to me and I've, I've now passed that on to other people. I've not seen oh, it no. yet, but I've passed it on to other people. But I'm like, I, I have to at least watch it to the end of episode three. It's um, I saw someone writing an essay about it, it's bleak, but I think it's just the right amount yeah. of bleak. Uh, you, you have little pockets of happiness in this like terrible situation. So that for those who don't know, it's based on a video game. Apparently, as far as video game adaptations go, this is probably one of the best ones for TV. I've heard some there's some pretty ropey ones, but this one's particularly good. But basically, there's like a fungal virus has taken over, taken over the world. It's terrifying. Oh no! Or better not tell. Right, I'm going to say no more. That it gets it gets people ingest it, and they basically turn into kind of weird zombies. It's horrifying. It's truly horrifying. I think the the fact that what makes it so scary is the fact that it could. I don't know. I feel like it could happen. I don't know. That's that's me and my non-science teachers are probably going to be like, oh, shush, like it couldn't happen. But <laughs> I just, they make it feel like it could happen, yeah. which is really powerful, I mm-hmm. think. But it's just fab. I, I don't want it to end ever. So you need to let me know. Sorry, I've given away too much. So uh, no, no, no. I, I, I will let you know, hopefully the next time I'll <laughs> caught up on more. Because it's getting released every week, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I like that better than just putting it all out the one time interesting my brother is um won't watch it he wants to binge it all and i'm like i don't know how you're going to cope with that because it is really bleak and i i'm quite glad i'm one episode a week because maybe better i think so too yeah mm-hmm. otherwise you'd just be in a pit of despair <laughs> 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 And that's it for Book Blether, Fact, Fiction and Fabulousness. We hope you enjoyed this episode and look forward to you joining us again next month. Until then, keep sharing stories. <laughs>